Welcome to episode number 66 of Off the Shelf. Thanks for joining us for part three of our interview with Alicia Moreno, a deep dive into the inner workings of the Seven Thunders subsect of the message. This episode concludes the discussion that Emily, Tim, and I had with Alicia on the 8th of August, 2020. Alicia, I I understand that Joseph Coleman got quite sick and that when he did, somebody from Montreal came down to New York and made some very startling prophecies about Joseph Coleman. How did that develop and what led for it all to come crashing down? Okay, yes, this was really the end. So there was uh, a young man from Montreal named Julian Brunel, and he had started attending our international church conventions um, at some point in the 2000s. The first time he ever appeared, he was very noticeable in one of the church services because he was wearing this black shirt, but it had like flames coming up from the bottom. Um, And it was, you know, a radical dress for a, a church service so like everybody knew who this guy was because oh he was the fire shirt guy you know uh, it wasn't a it wasn't a blazers <laughs> hockey jersey was it <laughs> um but over the years he would send in testimonies to joseph coleman um mostly concerning healing and some visions here and there um, and in October of 2010, he had written in about an experience that he had seeing handwriting on the wall, having a vision of handwriting on the wall uh, from Elohim, and it prophesied about Joseph Coleman's healing. And you know, he had been so sick for so many years. He was diabetic. He had spinal stenosis. Um, he had heart issues. I mean, he was he was a very ill man, and he was aging. He was in his 80s. But, I mean, we were so engaged, basically, in pastor worship that any kind of prophecy related to his healing was sure to get us riled up and, and engaged. So throughout 2011, Brunel continued to share um, all these prophecies and visions and experiences with handwriting on the wall. And at some point, the prophecy became that Joseph Coleman was not only going to be healed, but he was physically going to be changed into a 21-year-old man with 
blue eyes and a full head of hair and size 10 shoes. Like this is how detailed we're getting. Wow. <laughs> what, what line do I get in for that? <laughs> and, uh, you know, the idea was that when Abraham and Sarah conceived Isaac, it wasn't just that God had enabled them to conceive in their old age, but that God had physically transformed their bodies back to youthful bodies. And so that was the premise of this belief that Joseph Coleman's body was going to be transformed and that he was going to be 21 years old again. Um, so the way, the way that we bought it was, uh, he was very, very strategic, Brunel. Um, he would find out things about people in the church, people in the inspiration, even around the world. And um, he would call them up or he would meet with them and he would tell them these very, very personal things about their lives that they didn't think he could possibly know unless it had been revealed to him by God. And they would testify afterwards that he told them things about their lives with pinpoint accuracy. And this happened so many times um, that we all just really believed that this was what was happening. We started referring him, uh, referring to him as God's seer. And... Um, he also, you know, in addition to, to this, he was bullying us and terrifying us into belief, which we were used to, but he took it to another level. So he would pick a day that Joseph Coleman was supposed to be transformed. And when he wasn't transformed that day, he would tell us it was because of our unbelief and because of our doubt and we were not doing enough uh, to make sure that our pastor was healed and an unconfessed sin as well which is where you know my husband and I come into it is you know not only was I like oh my god I could die my sin could be exposed but it was also this idea that I'm holding up my pastor's healing and this was a man that I had been essentially taught to worship my entire life. Um, so he, you know, he would tell us that he knew if anybody was ever having any doubts. And so anything he said, the minute you thought like, oh, well, that doesn't really make sense. You would beat yourself up about it and just like try as hard as you could to get those thoughts out of your brain because you believed that he was going to know and that he could call you out for it. He would rebuke us for sleeping when the pastor could not sleep. He would rebuke us for eating when the pastor could not taste his food. 
um, he would rebuke us for not spending enough time in the message books or, or recordings. So the result of that is a congregation that is hungry and sleep deprived and neglecting their jobs because they are at work listening to messages. Wow. Um, so, I mean, that it's a recipe for mind control. And he really did. He he controlled all of us. Um, so. So at some point in time, this all came crashing down. What happened? Yeah. Um, at our international church convention in 2011, um, he the deacons actually found him in his hotel room with cocaine. Um, nice. But, yeah. But even then, you know, it didn't come out. Um, they, we were so, we were all just so fearful of this person at that time. And our pastor deeply, deeply believed in his prophecies. Um, and we were told all the time that, you know, even though the pastor's at home and he's sick and he's not here, he knows everything that's going on. Um, it got to the point that Julian basically abandoned his wife and children in Canada and moved into Joseph Coleman's house in, on Long Island. And he, he told the pastor that in order to have complete faith for his healing he needed to stop taking all of his medication and he did he stopped taking all of his medication um he had some women from the church who would come into the home to care for him and there was one doctor in the church and so this was the only physician that was trusted um to to ever you know take care of of Joseph Pullman. So at one point, I believe it was in November of 2011, uh, this doctor told the family and, and told uh, one of the elders in the church, he has to go to the hospital. He will die. And he suggested that they could even be charged the family could even be charged with elder abuse because it was you know he wasn't in his right mind he's not taking his medications um my dad saw coleman um a little bit before he died my dad said that he had bed sores on his body the size of dinner plates wow um so this this doctor said you've got to call the paramedics you've got to get him hospitalized so the, the elder, Joseph Belomo, he uh, called 911, paramedics come, and Julian Brunel stood in the doorway and he refused to let the paramedics in. And at that point, Coleman's family had to, had to kick him out of the house and say, you're, you're not going to do this to our father anymore. And so he disappeared into Canada and uh, Coleman died a couple months later uh, in early January 
of 2012. And the really crazy thing was nobody was saying anything about what happened. My husband and I always tell this story because we got married that November and, you know, Julian was basically controlling everything. We went on our honeymoon and we get back and Julian's gone. Our pastor's in the hospital and nobody is saying anything about what happened. And I first heard about it from my dad and, and my dad finally kind of acknowledged like, yeah, Julian was a fraud. But even after that, the messaging that was going out in the church and even after the pastor died, the messaging was nothing went wrong. No mistakes were made. This was all a part of God's plan. Nobody is culpable. This went down the way it was supposed to go down. Unbelievable. So, so is this is, is this when is this when Alicia you kind of understood that you were in a cult? Is that is this the yep. triggering thing? Yep, it was. Wow. It was. So you were gone not that long afterwards. Yep. Um, in I think it was March of 2012, we had to vote in a new pastor. We voted in a new pastor who then um, essentially performed a, a ceremony to turn over Julian Brunel's body to the devil that his soul might be saved. And like two weeks after that, <laughs> I was out of there. <laughs> wow. Unbelievable. It's just you know, a lot of stuff to process. It really, and you know, Rod, it reminds me a lot of the very, very conservative Catholics. Now, Emily, or Alicia, excuse me, I'm, I'm a recovering Catholic uh, on the 12-step program uh, for recovering Catholics. But at any rate, they have a, a segment for a group of Catholicism, Opus Dei, and they're ultra, ultra conservatives. And there are aesthetic Opus Dei that essentially wear solices, which are basically devices that give you pain. Mm -hmm. as you walk because they want you to feel the the same they want you to suffer as Christ suffered as you walk to the cross it sounds to me like this guy's whole thing was you have to suffer as your pastor is suffering right correct i mean and, and that's a that's a lot for an assembly to carry that's a huge burden right because the what what we were told was that in order to pray for him the way that he needed prayer, we needed to understand what the burden was that he had. So we wow. needed to feel the same burden. Um, hence, sleep deprivation, <laughs> hunger, fasting, you know. Unbelievable. Goodness. When you left, did that, did that leave you with a lot of guilt? Um, you know what? I, I never really felt guilty, but I did feel stupid. <laughs> um, for a while, you know, I just, I couldn't believe how I could have ever fallen for it. But it's really been my, you know, all of my research and reading that has helped me to, to let go of that feeling and just realize that 
um, that's how cults work. They brainwash you. You can be a smart person. You can still be brainwashed. Um, again, I, I know I was third generation, and I never had a chance. Like, this is what I grew up with. I never knew anything different. Yeah. This was not just a part of my life. This was my entire life. So so you would have considered yourself as an example. You would have considered yourself 100% body and you were totally devoted to the message as a way of life, as a belief system. I mean, that was that was it. You were in. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I I feel like I um, I had some some doubts here and there. Um, there were some, you know, things that I always questioned. Um, the fact that interracial marriage was forbidden, you know, like that was something that I always questioned. Um, especially when I was in college, I I started to believe that God was much more loving than I than I had always been led to believe. So I became more sympathetic to. Um, more accepting of things like homosexuality and abortion. Um, but still, even with those feelings, I always told myself, well, I'm never, I'm never going to leave. And these are things that don't affect me, my life. You know, I can be loving and accepting of other people. This, this doesn't really affect the way that I live my life. Um, so I thought I would never leave. I always told towed the line, except for, you know, when my husband and I were dating and fooling around. Um, I, I was all in. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. And, and I would say the only other thing that I ever really questioned was sometimes the leadership. And it wasn't necessarily my pastor just because he was he was really on a pedestal um but you know some people in the ministry were so cruel so harsh so unloving that um you know they they weren't the examples <laughs> that they were supposed to be mm -hmm. and so i questioned them as individuals but i never questioned my pastor i never questioned my belief system Nope. <laughs> wow. 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 So, Alicia, what what's left of the thunder, of the thunder's movement? I mean, this is seeing all of these false prophecies. Everything comes crashing down. Joseph Coleman dies. This is where cognitive dissonance really kicks in. And and for our listeners, if you haven't read um, the book When Prophecy Fails which it's kind of the leading and a uh, uh, book on the issue of cognitive dissonance. People don't leave, which mm -hmm. is bizarre, but prophecies can fail. They still believe mm -hmm. what what's left of the seven thunders movement. There's still people in it. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so after, uh, after the new pastor was voted in, the church had a massive split at that time. And so, you know, locally, one of the factions 
um, I would say stayed more true to Coleman's original message, um, you know, and that's where his family ended up going. Um, and I, I think the belief there was still that everything that happened was part of God's plan. Yes, Julian Brunel was a fraud, but, um, you know, the, Joseph Coleman never erred. The largest group uh, that my in-laws are still a part of, they're still in the thunders. They still listen to Joseph Coleman's messages all the time, but there was a greater acknowledgement there that things went really wrong at the end and also a greater acknowledgement that for some time at the end there, Coleman was really um, not in his right mind, that he was um, senile and dying and, and unwell. Um, then there's another much, much smaller group that really just ended up rejecting the Seven Thunders entirely, and they're sort of a more mainstream message church now. Um, but as far as like the international following, they're, they're, you know, they're still, still in the thunder, still in the, the biggest group of, of believers that are still in charge of like the physical church buildings in New York and Pennsylvania now. So your parents still in it? My dad, he, He's still a hardcore believer, but he's not really connected with a church anymore. Um, my my dad's a bit of a scandal, actually. Um, so again, you know, he was he was the head elder in Pennsylvania for many many years. He was in the ministry, basically from the time he and my mom were married. Uh, but my mother passed away in 2011, kind of in the height of the, the Julian era. And uh, a couple years later, after the church split up and everything, my dad in Pennsylvania, he didn't have a, a physical church location to go to anymore because he was associating more with a very small group in New York. Um, and, you know, I was married, my brother had moved out, he was very, very lonely, and he, you know, he'd start spending time with neighbors and things. Well, he ended up dating a denominational, you know, evangelical Christian woman, and that was a huge, huge no-no, obviously. Um and not only that, but she was, you know, my dad's in his 60s. Uh, she was a widow. She had a son. And my dad, as a minister, believed that he was only, you know, if he was going to remarry, he could only remarry a virgin. Um, but they did end up getting married. So that ended up distancing him even further from anybody um, that was still involved. So my dad still really believes, and, and even his wife is <laughs> like, ooh, wow, okay. 
uh, you know, he, he still doesn't like when she cuts her hair and when she wears pants and when she wears makeup. Um, this is so interesting because we, we talked about this in our last, a bit of it on our, on our last series of podcasts. The New Testament is clear that the Old Covenant is obsolete. Right. But yet William Branham takes all this stuff from the Old Covenant into the New, which right. the New Testament says we're not supposed right. to do. Yeah. And, and this it's creates all sorts of problems. And, and in fact, you know, this is one of the big issues theologically that I have with the message mm. from a doctrinal standpoint is all of these things in the New Testament, which we're not supposed to do, they do. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. where does it say in the New Testament that a minister is supposed to marry a virgin? Not there. It, there's this reference to the Levitical priesthood, but, you know, like, like mm -hmm. if you take that, well, according, you know, New Testament believers, we're all priests and kings with, with God. And so, no, this just doesn't work. But they want us, you know, the, 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 the ministry kind of, puts this on people because William Branham did and they've got right. to say well he's a prophet he has to be right well he's not he's wrong yeah so my dad is um you know he he's pretty disconnected even though he's definitely still a believer um one of the biggest points of contention between him and his wife is that she was not baptized in the name of Jesus Christ <sighs> I I know I'm telling you it's a scandal <laughs> Um, but my in-laws are still um, very, very deeply involved in, in the, the main Seven Thunders church um, that's still, still around. It's actually my husband's first cousin once removed, uh, who is the, the pastor currently, which is also a scandal because he's divorced. <laughs> wow. Wow. You know, I, it sounds like there's so many layers upon layers upon layers of things that are inconsistent with each other and inconsistent mm -hmm. with scripture. And it just it sounds to me like an entire I mean, what a weight to carry all of this and to try to make sense out of it. So so you've obviously are you still in contact with people who are other than your family members? Are you still in contact at all with people that are involved in the seven thunders? Um, just marginally on Facebook. Um, I, I don't talk. But, um, I have one friend. She, she's been my best friend from the time I was a toddler. Um, we're still in touch, but she's part of the group who just went more like mainstream message. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so she's really the only person outside of family that I have any regular communication with. I, I'm really, really disconnected from almost everybody else. Wow. So okay. how did they treat you when you left, Alicia? I, I you know, for, for us, it's, you know, again, I, I look at scripture and the way people are supposed to know that a person is a Christian is because the love that we have for each other and you don't get a gold star for loving people because Jesus said, you have to love your enemies. You got to love everybody. So love is like the basis of Christianity. In fact, Paul says in Galatians 5, 6, I think, 
the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So no love, you got zip, zilch, not a zero. Mm -hmm. So have people treated you with love when you left? Uh, no, it was just radio silence. Um, so you're, you're radioactive. Just... <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Um, and you're right, you know, the, the whole time I was in the church, you know, we always looked at our pastor as, a, you know, a Christ-like figure as far as the way that he loved people, you know, and even when he was blasting people, you know, just being really, really harsh, um, you know, he'd always followed it up with that, you know, it's because I love you, it's because I love you. Um, but I really never knew what love was, and I especially did not know how to love others until I, I left. Wow. That's sad. Very yeah. sad. So people, you know, if I ever run into somebody, um, which I still do occasionally, if I run into somebody, you know, people are civil. Uh, but nobody ever reached out to us after we left. Nobody wanted to know why we left. Um, it, you're just you're just gone. That's it. Wow. So we've talked then about how people have viewed you, and I know many times uh, we hear that we just do this podcast or um, put out research or do research because we hate William Branham or we hate the people in the message. Um, you're obviously on this podcast today. And so what is your view of people who are still in the movement, both in the inspiration and in the message as a whole? Do you hate them? Uh, you know, kind of what's your perspective and what's your feel? Uh, I mean, absolutely not. I, I see most people as victims. Um, my husband and I talk a lot, too, about um, just the way that we think about our parents um, and how I, like, I can't even blame my parents for the way that I grew up because, you know, my dad was four or five years old when he got into it. Um, it's, it's their whole lives. It's all they know. Um, so while I wish, you know, that that uh, they could see that it's all garbage and nonsense. Um, you know, I, I realized that it's probably not going to happen. And, and so I'm, I'm just sort of disappointed um, that they, they will never have that experience of, of coming out of it. Um, but yeah, I, I I kind of have that view of um, that they really are victims that they're taken advantage of. Um, and, and like we said earlier, so many people's lives have been completely destroyed yeah. by, mm -hmm. by some of the beliefs. Um, you know, Very there sad. were, there were women, women in the church who had abusive husbands and they were, they were counseled to stay with their husbands. Um, and, you know, that was a bit of a double standard because Joseph Coleman's oldest daughter divorced her husband because he was abusive. Um, 
while other other women were counseled to stay with their abusive husbands. So, um, yeah, it's it's painful to to think about uh, people who who stay in it and suffer. Wow. Mm-hmm. So, so Alicia, I'm going to ask you one last question, and it relates to just exactly what you're talking about as it relates to other the people that are still in the movement. And I understand that there are a lot of message denominations who severely criticize people in their assemblies if they listen to these podcasts or if they go to websites and do research or if they reach out to former message people. Do you have any uh, any confidence or do you have any any sort of a feeling for anybody within the seven thunders that are actually, I mean, you're incredibly brave for coming on the podcast and talking to us about it. And we, we really appreciate your, your time. And, and basically your, your story is, is hugely inspiring that you have an opportunity. You're, you're in a great relationship with your husband. It sounds like you guys are, you know, you guys are well clear of, of the beliefs and, and everybody struggles for a while as they move out of the message. Uh, so I understand that. But do you have any confidence that anybody in the Thunder's inspiration or anybody is going to listen to your uh, testimony or your podcast here and they're actually going to be able to gain any uh, strength from it or potentially gain any courage to look any further? Is that, is that something that you hope or is that something that you think, yeah, it's probably not going to happen? Um. I don't know. Probably not. I feel like the only way anybody would even listen is um, so they could talk about it afterwards and um, criticize me. Mm. Uh, I, I really think that's the only reason anybody who's currently in it would would listen is um, to see how rogue I have gone. Um, to see how many spirits <laughs> are on me. Sure. Um, I mean, I would, I would hope that maybe there would be a, a young person out there who, you know, is maybe kind of on the fence. Um, I don't know. My, my biggest hope. I have an eleven-year-old niece, and so my, really, my biggest hope is that. Um, Someday, if if my niece ever decides to leave, that um, my journey out will will help to support her. That's yeah. that's my mm-hmm. really is on her. Sure, and that is the reason that we're doing these podcasts. Uh, although some people have said, uh, in case you didn't know, Tim and Emily, that we are being paid by the Jesuits. Uh, nice. <laughs> When, when do I get my check? <laughs> I mean, it's it's very bizarre. Someone someone sent me an email and said, oh, "Yeah, I know you guys are being paid by the Jesuits," and I thought, "Wow, this is really really bizarre." I wish I was getting paid for doing this instead yeah. of it costing me it costs me money to do this. I pay for it out of my own pocket. Uh, it's not a lot of money, but but I also it it's it's cost me hundreds and hundreds of hours. And mm-hmm. the only reason I do it is because I love the people mm-hmm. who are in the message. It's still in the message. We have had thousands of people listen to these podcasts. And and Alicia, I am. Uh, I can tell you that there are thousands of people that will hear your story. Sure. And so I want to thank you 
for having the courage to come on the podcast with us to share your story with our listeners. I know it's not the easiest thing in the world to do, and and I know our listeners all appreciate getting an inside look on something they didn't know anything about, which was the Th Seven Thunders inspiration. I didn't even know they called it that, the inspiration. Mm. So I do really want to thank you and appreciate the time that you've taken for our listeners, uh, because we really, really do appreciate that. Thank you very much. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's really been a pleasure. And I always find talking about it so very therapeutic. So even though I haven't actually pursued therapy in eight years, <laughs> um, it's things like this that really go such a long way towards healing. So I really appreciate the opportunity. Great. And thank you, Tim and Emily, as well, for being with us. It's It's been good, as always, Rod. Thanks. And Alicia, it's sure been great to meet you and to be able to talk to you. Thanks for, thanks for sharing. It's been great. To that brings our discussion with Alicia to a close. We are still in the process of lining up our guest for next month's podcast, but I know you won't want to miss it. If you have a question or comment, please feel free to go to our website at offtheshelf.life. There is a comment section at the bottom of every episode's webpage, or you're welcome to send an email to me at rod at offtheshelf.life. And always remember, God is not afraid of your questions. Have a great day, and thanks for listening. Find you.